Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Modern Data Shop. Today, we are thrilled to have Mark Lafferet as our guest. Mark is a senior data engineer at Shopify, which is a renowned e-commerce company that simplifies online selling for small and large-sized businesses. With over seven years of experience, diverse experience in the tech industry, Mark has excelled in building and managing cloud data platforms, designing ETL workflows, developing time series models, and collaborating with experts in deep learning and computer vision. Mark has also built SaaS applications and leveraged AI to design pharmaceuticals and forecast their effects on the human body. Thanks for being a part of the show, Mark. Thanks for having me. So Mark, let's start with the very first question. Share a little bit about your background, your role at uh, Shopify, and uh, you know, would love to understand what your day-to-day -day looks like. Yeah, so I kind of uh, entered the data world by accident. I started out as a researcher. I was actually trained as a biochemist. Uh, started working in deep sequencing, also using AIs to predict protein DNA interactions. Um, from there, I completed a thesis, did a master's in that, in that field. Um, but then once I completed my master's, I was kind of like um, wondering what was next for me. I didn't want to pursue a PhD, uh, and I decided to enter the job market. Uh, in my master's, I didn't really feel limited by my data science ability. I felt more limited by my programming ability. Uh, so I decided to go to a pharmaceutical startup and basically plead my case that I would be able to be a good software engineer for them because I understood what their AI was doing. It was kind of related to my thesis work. So from there, that was as a full stack uh, software engineer. I, you know, learned how to deploy stuff, learned how to build a backend, work with databases, uh, build containers, uh, even did some front end. Um, and then I was there for two years. And with that new kind of like skill set in my arsenal, I decided to re-enter the data world. But at this time, I was a lot better at programming. And where I started finding my niche was working uh, like deploying data applications and AIs. And so I would really collaborate, as you mentioned, with experts in AI, computer vision, and I would help them get a hold of the data that they needed. But then also on the other side, once they built the application, deploy the application uh, into the real world. Uh, no, so I, I was just saying, you know, just to expand on that one point, Mark, uh, a lot of people that we see in the data industry, you know, are kind of non-programmers who wants to get into data engineering and, you know, uh, uh, with the tools like, uh, you know, dbt and, you know, having a basic knowledge of SQL, you know, most of these data-driven applications are primarily SQL-driven, right? Uh, what was the your biggest challenge in terms of acquiring those technical and programming skills and what advice would you give to other people who are probably in a similar situation as that of yours, how they can get into data and build up those programming skills that they require on the job? Yeah, so I would say the biggest challenge for me was just, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And so my first job, like when a mentor of mine like showed me Docker, it was hard for me to like even wrap my head around what was even happening. Like I had to build my own, you know, computer in a way and then like ship it. It, you know, it was hard for me to actually understand what I was doing. So that was probably the biggest challenge. My advice to people who want to build that skill set is to find something you're passionate about, something really small, and just go through the entire product journey. Like think of an idea of something you want to build, then go out and build it. And, you know, stumble along the way. There's 
so many resources online. You know, I'm a, I'm taught by the internet more or less. So you can Google's your friend. Uh, there's tons of like resources out there to help you, but really just, you know, build that product, deploy that product, uh, like trip over your own feet, stumble, make mistakes. The best thing about computers is it doesn't really matter how many mistakes you make. Uh, you know, in my early days, I did actually brick my computer a few times uh, because I just did stupid stuff on my computer and I had to like go into Apple or Mac and be like, can you reset my computer, please? Because um, I, you know, deleted some startup script or downloaded too much data onto my computer and just like wouldn't even move anymore. So that would be like my my advice like for example for me i really like uh computational photography so i would like actually just take images and start building applications that would like process the pixels in images and maybe like animate between different uh pictures and stuff like that um so just find something you're interested in and build a product around it that's a lovely advice so mark let's talk about your role at shopify what do you do at shopify yeah so that's a good question. Uh, so I joined Shopify in a couple of weeks. It'll be just uh, over two years. So before Shopify, I was kind of this like full stack data person where I really brought the breadth of my knowledge uh, to my uh, to my work. Uh, but at Shopify, you're it's my first time working at like a big tech company, and you're no longer really needed to do the breadth of of the cycle. You really need to. Like, obviously that's helpful, but when you're working at a big tech company, you're actually more valuable to have more depth in one specific area. And so my uh, journey at Shopify has really been centered around storage. I've really focused on the storage layer of our data lake. And yeah, so that's mostly what I've been focusing on. Uh, and there's many different facets about storage. Like there's, you know, the actual technical aspect of it, like the physical aspect of it. But then there's also these ideas around like governance and like standards. And yeah, we can build a data lake, but you want to try and prevent as best as you can is your lake turning into a data swamp. And so we have like, like this other aspect of storage where it's like more about governance. Right. And tell us, tell us about what kind of data are we talking about? So, I mean, it's mostly structured data. Uh, but, you know, when you work at such a big company, it's not so ubiquitous. Like, yes, we have you know, some parquet data, some data is like in JSON files. Um, you know, there's very diverse. Uh, some of it comes from Kafka. Some of it comes from third party tools. Uh, some of it comes from, you know, employees wanting to upload Excel spreadsheets. Um, so it's like it's really diverse. And that's one of the biggest challenges is like, determining like you can't like build every tool in the world so it's like okay where's like 80 percent of our user base what kind of data are they using and what kind of value can we give them and that's mostly uh like data from data like our production databases of course um but then also data coming off kafka which sometimes can be the same right and uh you said you know most of the data is structured right and there is, you know, for, for a lot of people, there is a lot of, uh, you know, not not a lot lot of clarity into these terms like data lake versus data warehouse versus data lake house, right? How would you explain yeah. this? Um, honestly, I kind of cringe at our industry sometimes because I even find it confusing having been in the field for like eight years. 
to me, I think some people would say, oh, when it's, you know, highly structured, it's a data warehouse. But if it's unstructured, then you're in the data lake. To me, I, I don't really care. Um, it's just like both of those terms are meaning like the data, the central data assets of a company, whether you want to say they're in a data lake or a data warehouse, who cares? They're essentially it's data on disk somewhere, probably in the cloud. Right. And uh, the, the next question is, uh... Explain your, you know, if, if you if you would care to draw the the modern data stack for uh, Shopify, how does your data stack look like? What tools? What open source tools and technologies are you using? Right from the storage layer to the you know the insights and decision layer. Would you would you walk us through that? Yeah, for sure. So I'll give you like the canonical stack, but people who may work at large companies, you know that you're always kind of like pivoting and you have some remnants of your stack of your data in the old stack and you have this new stack that you're driving towards. So it's not like so easy to say like this is the stack that we're using because we're actually using, unfortunately, a couple of stacks. But basically what I'll like I'll drive like I'll just uh define what like the ideal stack for us would be, which would be this idea of you have data like data's on Kafka. That's like our our canonical case. We stream our data uh, using a Kafka Connect plugin out of the Kafka brokers into GCS. So it's like a cloud object storage. We register that data uh, using a Hive Metastore, and that the table format is actually an iceberg. So that is how our data lands into our data warehouse, data lake, whatever you want to call it. Uh, from there, we would use something like Trino or Spark to hook into this uh, data lake and would allow people to run like SQL or their Spark applications to further model uh, their data. Once they model their data, they will then write it back into the data lake using the Hive Metastore and writing it into Iceberg table format. Uh, you know, Then you can come along and put your favorite uh, visualization tool on it um whether that's looker studio or tableau or you know anything else you want to hook on top of that of course we have like things like airflow that we use to schedule all our workloads and yeah that's that's pretty much the stack and and do you uh, and do you guys use dbt so our data modelers use dbt i myself do not use dbt uh, I'm like a raw SQL kind of guy. Right. Got it. And uh, one one of the important other things is, you know, uh, one of the issues that we see people working on the kind of a storage layer of uh, of the stuff is around data quality and data governance, right? You, you mentioned that uh, you, as you and your team is also part of, you know, responsible for data governance, right? And one of the biggest reasons, you know, where people tend to kind of, you know, people tend to turn the data lakes into data swamp is mostly because of these one-off ad hoc things that comes in, right? And how do you guys decide, walk us through the process. Like, for example, let's say there is a team, let's say there is a product team, and you say, you know, we want this to be stored into our data lake. What's your process on uh, serving those requests and where and how you put in those governance process in place? Yeah, this is, I'm glad you asked this question because this is actually something I've been recently thinking a lot about. 
And in my head, there's two different architectures that you can kind of build. You can build a gating process where someone like says they want to publish into the data lake and you like, they come to you with their data and you like do the quality checks right there. And you like say, yes, you can publish in here or no, you cannot. Um, or you can do something that I call the trust, but verify. You can let people just publish like kind of like wild, wild west, but then have a crawler that comes through after the fact and constantly checks your data that it adheres to the quality standards that you put in place. So, you know, there are pros and cons to each approach. Uh, obviously the like gating approach is a lot more strict and heavy handed, and you might be blocking people from like a normal workflow. Uh, so you actually have to implement like this new software that everyone has to interact with versus the crawler. People probably don't, won't even have to necessarily know about it, that it's happening because it happens after the fact and you're trusting, but then you're verifying. So then you can go back to them and be like, Hey, you published this data into the data lake, but you didn't, you know, uh, identify what PI columns you have or set an owner on the table or put an SLO on the table or put a criticality on the table. And you can start implementing things that way. Um, based on how I've described them, I'm sure you can guess which one Shopify is deciding to go with. Uh, but yeah, that's how I view that problem. Right. And, you know, uh, one thing that I was uh, very amazed to see on actually Shopify engineering blog is you have this very well written blog about how to structure data teams. Right. And uh, there are a lot of, you know, kind of, uh, 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 you know, ways you can do that. Uh, uh, that's there on the blog. And I'm, you know, we'll share the link of the blog post with the podcast episode. Uh, but would love to hear from you. How do you, you know, took this approach on structuring the data teams? How are the data streams structured within the organization serving various stakeholders? So uh, it's funny you mentioned this because I have a lot of opinions about this. And I feel like this is actually an area where Shopify can really improve upon and somewhere that uh, we're actually trying to. Um, I think it's really difficult because structure like resourcing of teams is a technical problem, but more so it's a people problem. This is people, you know, way above my pay grade that are negotiating how the team should look, what someone like me as a data platform engineer should actually provide to data scientists. Like, should I expect people on those teams be able to program in something other than Python or even in Python, or should they just do SQL? Uh, this is something we like constantly debate and it's something we're trying to get more alignment on. I think, you know, in the idealized world, every data team has the ability to self-serve. Like if they run into problems, they can, you know, maybe extend the platform themselves. But I think that's a little unrealistic. Uh, you might have some teams, like uh, I keep coming back to like working at such a big org. You don't have like one team that kind of works here. We have some teams that can do that, but we definitely have teams that can't do that. Uh, they can only write SQL. And that's not that every you know data team should have this ability to write really complex scale apps. That's not, I, I think that's un, impractical. So you kind of have to build your platform so that it can service diverse teams and uh, meet the needs of the company. So I think like, you know, in the ideal world, every data team has like a really good data engineer that can write scale apps um, and, you know, self-serve them uh, 
their own team on the platform. But that's kind of impractical, I think, in the real world. Right. And uh, you also, you know, on a very similar note, you also had an experience of working with smaller companies and now working with Shopify. Uh, what are your, what would be your advice to, you know, founders, uh, you know, who are building tech businesses in terms of how to start thinking about data team? Because data data as a function usually comes a pretty late within an organization. You know, you typically start with engineers, you start with business facing teams. Data as a function comes up really late. What do founders, what, what would be your advice to those founders where if they have to keep something in mind that there would come a time where we would structure our data as a function, what are the things those, those people, those founders can do those in those initial days to be able to accommodate for that and do it in, a, in, a, in, in the right way, basically? Yeah, that's such a good question. I'm so glad you asked that because uh, at one company, I was the founding data team member or, yeah. So maybe I can talk through my experience, give you some horror stories, and then a recommendation. So uh, this was after my first, I spent two years as a full stack engineer, I decided to re-enter the data world. And I went to this company that was doing computer vision and uh, based on medical imaging. And I kind of knew in the interview process, I read the application and I was like, or yeah, the job posting. And it was like kind of a mix between like a data engineer and a data scientist. And, you know, I kind of had done both, so I felt confident. But in the interview, I, I literally asked them, I'm like, it sounds like a mix. Like, do you want a data engineer or do you want a data scientist? And they said, well, you know, we kind of want both. And I was like, okay, well, how, what does your team currently look like? And they're like, well, we have six data scientists and no data engineers. And I was like, okay. I kind of knew from that moment that they really wanted a data engineer. And lo and behold, you know, my first couple of weeks on the job, I went to the data scientist. I'm like, how do you get your data? And they, I kid you not, they were like, oh, I take this thumb drive. I go to DevOps. I ask them to dump the production database onto it. And then I bring it over to my computer and I analyze it. And so, you know, you know it took a couple months for me to really like get into the founder's head that like we needed, this wasn't scalable. The, you know, the data scientists were working off the raw, like, uh, OLTP uh, schema of the database. They weren't restructuring it. So their queries, they're like, oh, my query takes like four hours. And it's like, well, yeah, you're doing like the most complicated join like seven times. Um, you probably should just like have a pipeline that like does it once for you. And then, you know, once I showed them how to do it, their queries were like seconds. Um, so that was like a really pivotal role for me because it showed the power of like good data engineering practices and let me get my feet wet with it. Like I kind of had free reign to do anything I wanted and like really experiment with like star schemas and like pipelines and using Airflow and like all the other tools like Fivetran and Snowflake like uh, that I set up at the company. So my recommendation for like a startup, uh, a founder who wants to, you know, every company apparently these days is a data company. So if you consider yourself a data company, Start with a data engineer, maybe someone who has a little bit of data science knowledge, but you really want that data engineering first, because just from my experience going into these startups, you have all these data scientists, they hire the data scientists first, but they're not equipped to be productive, to actually be able to do their job yet until a data engineer comes in and sets everything up for them. It's really like a pyramid and the foundation is data engineering. 
So I would start with a data engineer who can get your data ready for data scientists to come in and actually build models off of. So that would that would be my recommendation. Amazing. And tell us a little bit more about the data culture at Shopify. Uh, have you found this to be, you know, any any particular thing that you would like to highlight where where you think Shopify is doing really great with respect to data? Well, I think that we're on the cutting edge of Iceberg, which is pretty cool. Iceberg has been a fabulous community to interact with and work with. Um, we've really shown like how open source technologies can be beneficial to a company, even at the scale of Shopify. Um, it's not saying that, you know, it's easy operating open source software is challenging and does require, you know, human, re human capital to do that. Um, but I would say like, that's on the storage side, but what's been really cool is like seeing is working with like, definitely when you go into a bigger company, um, you work with like a lot more diverse types of engineers and people who are really good at what they're doing. So before I was more of like a breadth person where I was like kind of okay at a lot of different things, but now I'm working with people who are like experts in their domain and like, you know, blow me out of the water and like things like data modeling and AI. Um, so it's really cool to, you know, work with such diverse people uh, solving such diverse problems. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, one other question, you know, now that you mentioned open source and Shopify is still working with uh, on a lot of open source technologies. Uh, tell us uh, one of your last experience in terms of where Shopify uh, procured any, you know, third party vendor for any tools within your you know stack. You know, we are seeing an explosion of we have seen a explosion of uh, a tons of you know data stack tools around every single category that you can pro potentially imagine. Uh, have you guys recently you know kind of procured any tool that you're amazed of? So I'll say like kind of broadly, like harkening back to what I said about working at a large company, uh, you do kind of have like operating different stacks in in parallel. One thing that one general trend I'm noticing at Shopify is we are moving more to a enterprise model where we purchase instead of build, which is distinct from our past where we would pretty much never purchase things. We would always build in-house. Okay, good to know that. So, uh, you know, towards, uh, you know, as we're approaching towards the end of this, uh, you know, episode, Mark, one thing that is probably on everyone's mind right now is generative AI, right? You know, the world has seen what generative AI can do, can potentially do. What are the things and what are the, you know, what are particular things that you think that generative AI can bring a lot of positive impact in the world of data engineering? You know, the obvious ones are the metadata and the data cataloging, which is where people have already started to demonstrate the value of, you know, generative AI in terms of, you know, structuring this huge amount of unstructured data that a lot of organizations have. What else do you think uh, where generative AI can create a lot of impact in your work? Yeah, um, I would really see the impact in like, like uh, generating pipelines, like ETL pipelines for you. So let's just like say that our data has landed, let's like take for granted that it's already in our data lake. But you know, anyone who touches the data knows it's kind of like really messy. Like maybe there's tons of duplicates. Maybe there's like some JSON column that needs to be flattened and the schema changes, um, you know, a bunch of issues. 
I could really see like some generative AI coming along and you just say like, you know, deduplicate my data and it just does it for you. And it like generates this new table and it's deduplicated and it's great. And you know, you say schedule, schedule this pipeline on every hour. And I could see that being really useful uh, in, in my field. Um, I think like where I see the future of our work going is like, it's more about delivering business value. I think, you know, the modern data stack is pretty complicated. It requires a lot of different tools. Um, and so, you know, when you talk to someone in business, like maybe our founder, like Toby, he doesn't really care about all the different tools. He cares about what you're doing for Shopify. So it's like, you know, as much of the technology you can kind of abstract and, you know, get some like get for free. Obviously, it's not going to be for free, but let's just go with that. Go for free. The more and the more value you can provide to the business, the more, uh, you know, business leaders aren't going to look at you as like a cost center. They're going to see the value that you're generating. And that's really where I think we want to be as an industry. Amazing. So, you know, with that, we're going to wrap, wrap up this episode. Thank you so much for sharing all of these experiences with us, Mark. And thank you again for being on the show. Thank you so much.